Hello, hello, and welcome back to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I've been doing for the past couple of weeks now is I've been talking about a bunch of the early offerings of Image Comics. And uh, you see, guys, this is, well, this is basically the opening salvo of a mega series where I'm going to be talking a lot more about the early offerings of Image Comics. For the past couple of weeks, it's specifically been Wildcats by Wildstorm, which is to say Jim Lee's studio at that time. But in weeks to come, you see, this week is actually the last week of Wildcats anything, really. So in the weeks to come, I'm going to be talking about other Image Comics. And I've kind of, I've gotten into this somewhat in previous episodes, but really the long and the short of it is people can say anything they want about the early offerings of Image Comics, but people, I'm going to tell you something. These comics are a hell of a lot more interesting to me today than the new stuff that's being sold by DC and and Marvel and all of their uh, agenda mongering and and all this stuff. So I've gone through it all before. I've said it all before. There's probably not much more to be gained in running that into the ground again right now. So if you're curious specifically what what it is that I had to say, well, listen to those, to the three previous episodes. Or knowing me and the way that things have gone lately, just wait a while in this episode. But anyway, so that's pretty much that stuff. And so honestly, there's really no reason to prolong the inevitable. Without further ado, getting straight into Wildcats number four. The story is entitled Resolution. Story synopsis for Resolution is as follows. The members of Youngblood and Wildcats have both had the shit kicked out of them as Hellspont launches Project Reunification. Marlowe has one final trick up his sleeve, though, and he relays a message to what's left of Spartan to trigger an explosion that will result in a chain reaction, which in turn will result in the destruction of Hellspont's compound. Warblade uses this opportunity to throw out a lot of sports metaphors as he attacks Hellspawn in an attempt to stop him from reaching the Stargate controls. Hellspawn uh, fights back, but really, it's too little too late. The Stargate shuts down, isolating the Demonite fleet from the space near Earth. Hellspawn makes a run for it and soon discovers that the orb is gone, stolen by the gnome in his triad. A three-way fight breaks out between Hellspawn, the Wildcats, and the Triad. The orb ends up getting dropped down a shaft, and the, no- and the gnome does a suicide swan dive right after it. Meanwhile, the chain reaction triggered earlier in the issue is making faster and faster work of the demonite compound, and time is running out. Youngblood and the Wildcats all make their escape, except for Marlowe, who tries like hell to get Void to teleport the two of them to safety. After that, the compound goes kaboom! Back on the jet, Voodoo, Void, and Marlowe all savor their narrow escape from Doom. Finally, as the epilogue of the story, John Lynch from I.O. buys a newspaper from a street vendor straight out of the 1940s with headlines announcing Vice President Dan Quayle's temporary possession by the Demonites from previous issues. The... End. For now, anyway. So, what did I think? Well, for starters, guys, I get the idea that a lot of these initial offerings of Image Comics, these, as much as anything, they were designed to be sort of three, maybe four, maybe five issue sort of mini-series that could be wrapped up if need be, or if sales justified such a thing, they could be continued as ongoing series. And so that definitely seems to be the case here because the ending definitely, it definitely leaves room for future issues, which as we all know, future issues were certainly in the offing. Or if Wildcats had ended up tanking 
and nobody was interested and sales were practically non-existent, well, the story can be wrapped up here and then that's the end of it, if you want it to be. So this is true, like I say, not only of Wildcats, but also of other Image Comics, some of which we're going to be talking about in this mega series. And so there may be a deeper meaning to that for some people, but really there's no deeper meaning for that, at least for me. Starting with the cover, again, I'm not really sure if this thing's been recolored or not. Previous issues, or at the very least issue number three, gives every indication that this is not the original coloring job. This is actually a recoloring job, and at least when it comes to issue number three, I stand by that. That cover, not so much the interior pages, but that cover at least, seems to me to have been recolored. With Wildcats number four, it's kind of harder to be sure. I mean, I, I, I really could see it either way. It's got a lot of uh, gradients, and there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, just bright sort of poppy colors. It's enough to make you think that this could be the original coloring job. But some of these colors, like I say, some of them are actually really bright and vibrant in keeping with early 90s image, while other colors, they're, they're a bit more muted, which is in keeping with a bit more modern comics. So, I don't know. Um, honestly, this really could go either way, but no matter how you look at it, this is definitely a, a good cover. It's basically a little bit of a generic cover, at least as far as these things go. It's it's Zealot, it's Warblade, and it's Spartan, and they're all they've all they're all, basically they're all making their metal face. They they've all got their metal faces on, and this is again it, it's sort of uh, part and parcel of early 90s image comics where everybody's making the grimace or the metal face and it's i don't know this is just it, it this is not the best cover uh, of the entire bunch i mean this I, i'm sorry if i if i sound distracted here guys but i'm basically trying to find a way to intel uh intellectualize that which maybe cannot be intellectualized. This is basically just a fun uh, action, I shouldn't say action-packed, but maybe action-suggestive uh, type of cover. It's it's very much a, a sort of a pinup kind of cover. You could have used this cover just as easily for the first issue as for this one. And that's not a criticism. It's not really a, a, a compliment either, but it's not a criticism. I'm just saying that there's nothing, at least visible to me on this cover, except maybe that goop right above Spartan's right eye. But apart from that, there's really nothing about this cover that demands it be associated with the fourth issue as opposed to any of the other ones. I don't know. All in all, I just, I, I really like this. And it this could just be nostalgia talking. I'll be the first to admit that. But I think there's a really well done cover. I mean, no, it's not the greatest cover you've ever seen. But you know, this is vintage Jim Lee, arguably at the height of his powers. I think this is a, just an extraordinarily well-done cover. And speaking of extraordinarily well-done, this is, I guess, really the first page of story, but it's page three, according to Comixology, which is how I'm reading this issue. This is sort of a, a, a glory shot of Hellspawn. He's doing this sort of, by Jim Lee's standards, he's doing a little bit of a conventional superhero pose and it's i just i love this this is just such scenery chewing dialogue he's got here you know <laughs> victory is mine reunification begins now you know and and all that i mean you can almost picture this guy being voiced by who would be a good voice for house i don't maybe james spader no, no, James Spader is a little bit too sarcastic. I don't know. Eh, Christopher Lee might have been a good voice. I don't know, but just some big and dramatic and recognizable sort of Hollywood voice. I don't know. That's just sort of what I picture for Hellspawn's, or what I imagine, shall we say, for Hellspawn's voice. This is 
it seems that there should be... In fact, you know what? Maybe not even just an iconic and instantly recognizable voice, but perhaps something that's been maybe electronically treated in some way or another. So you get like the reverby sort of Christopher Lee. I don't know. But anyway, whatever. The point is, it doesn't have to be Christopher Lee. It doesn't have to be James Spader, but just some kind of just instantly recognizable and iconic Hollywood voice. That's sort of what I'm picturing for for Hellspawn's voice. And this is just this is just gold. I I dig this page. I dig Hellspawn. I dig his character design, you know, costume design and all. I just I dig all of it. It looks I I just really really enjoy it, you know. So, anyway. So, from there getting into the next uh, couple of pages, we get it's basically a, a brief bit of minor resistance from the members of Youngblood and what's left of the Wildcats. And frankly, Hellspont makes short work of them. And if I've got a criticism about these or about this particular issue, and honestly, they're few and far between. But if I've got a criticism of, of, uh, of this issue, it's that I get it. Hellspawn is ridiculously powerful. He's absurdly dangerous. He's your headlining supervillain. So you don't want him to go down like a bitch. But it was set up in the previous issue that Youngblood is just full of epicness and badassitude. And God knows their own title definitely backs that up. You know, Youngblood, they are... They are a force to be reckoned with. I mean, you fuck with them at your peril. And it just seems to me that they should have put up a little bit more of a fight. Hellspont ba basically takes down the entire team with an energy blast that didn't even hit them. And look, I get it. it it's There are things that need to get uh, taken care of. There are elements of the story that have got to be resolved in this issue. There's exposition that needs to be imparted for anybody who missed previous issues and all of that. And so you you can't necessarily have a fight between what's left of both teams erupt right here because we've got other shit that we need to start uh, getting taken care of and, and put down for good now. And I get that. But it's like at the same time, I don't know if it's completely honest with the material that Hellspawn is able to temporarily though it may be dispatch both teams with one energy blast that doesn't even connect you know so whatever it's neither here nor there so anyway moving right along we get some character development going on with uh spartan this is on page seven as it is for for comicsology and we get a little bit more of who spartan is what spartan is how he works and all of that. And to me, the captioning just really says it all. So I'm going to just go ahead and read that. It says, Like Lazarus, Spartan 7 returns from the dead. Left behind by the others, Spartan was to be the final option to stop the cabal if Imp's team failed in shutting down the reactor. His remaining onboard scanners search for any inherent flaw or weakness in the facility that may give the Wildcats an advantage. Spartan finds only one, but knows it will be enough. As he strains with the last of his energy reserves to deactivate the relay switch, Spartan hopes the others will have enough time to escape. And though he stands at, at death's threshold once more, he carries on the tradition of his namesake. Spartan fights on for victory at any cost. And so I'm one of those people who thinks that the name of a comic book character should tell you something about them. And I get it. You know, that's not always possible. I mean, if you think about characters like Green Lantern, what does the name Green Lantern really tell you about Hal Jordan? And what does the name tell you, what does the name Green Lantern tell you about Hal Jordan as compared to Guy Gardner? and so on and so forth. And so you don't... I mean, I understand that this is an ideal. It's not always possible. Like, the the example that everybody points to is 
impulse where it's like his name tells you what his powers are or what his power is somewhat about his character and arguably what impulse's weakness is or one of his weaknesses so when you think about it and i mean bart allen when i say this so when you think about it the name impulse for bart allen that's not a bad name spartan that's a little less obvious and so the grit and determination just the drive to push for victory no matter how long it takes no matter what it costs the drive to push for victory let's face it that is kind of what the spartans are remembered for and so is that the best name for this character you know what maybe not but it is a good name for the character and so you fuck it i'll allow it you know so anyway so he he basically does whatever it is that needs to be done again this is on page seven so on page eight there's this almighty explosion and now we're right back in jim lee's wheelhouse shall we say because right here on page eight like i say there's this huge explosion this is not a full page splash but of the six panels that there are on this page the the big explosion that's the biggest panel of them all this is panel four and then going on from there we get we get uh uh there's a fight between warblade and hellspont hellspont makes a narrow escape and there's another fight between hellspont the wildcats and uh the members of triad and this is again i mean it's in, in a weird kind of way it's almost like you're taking shots at Jim Lee whenever you talk about the stuff that he that he does well. But guys, I'm sorry. You know, there is an art to doing a, a powerful and engaging action scene in a way that doesn't bury the action. It gives everybody or most of the characters their own little moment. And it's still there is still a story that's being told, even with action sequences. And that story never gets lost when Jim Lee does the action sequences. And guys, that's talent. I mean, you've you've got to be good in order to tell stories the way that Jim Lee tells them. No, no one's going to mistake him for the likes of, say, Alex Maleve or something like that. But still, nobody gets it done quite the way that Jim Lee does. And so... I would say that this title, you know, certainly these issues, but this title in general, it really does play to Jim Lee's strengths, I think. So anyway, so there's this big fight scene that's going on and the, and Hellspont, the Wildcats and the Triad, they're all kicking the shit out of each other. And we basically get this, this is the decisive moment on pages 15 and 16 or comicsologies pages 15 and 16 where the gnome courtesy of Marlowe, loses his grip literally loses his grip on the orb it falls down the shaft he does a sw suicide swan dive right after it and Marlowe makes a kind of a kind of an interesting comment this is on page 16 he says whoever said i was a hero and this kind of drives home the point that Marlowe is beginning to accept the reality of who he is. He's a cherubim, specifically Lord Imp. And so even though he doesn't have the fullness of his memories, he does have his instincts. And the fact is, he's a guy who has a very specific job that he, that, that he needs to do. And so, yes, that entails saving lives and protecting mankind and all that. But Marlowe here is drawing a distinction. He's like, I'm a guy. He's basically saying, I'm a guy who's here to do his job. Okay. By whatever means are necessary. That doesn't make me a hero. There are times when me doing my job may make me look kind of sort of like a hero. But, bitch, don't kid yourself. I ain't no hero, okay? I don't have the same hang-ups, the same limitations, and the same rules that a conventional hero might be expected to have. I'm here to win by whatever means necessary. 
And so whenever he blasts uh, the gnome's arm clean off, you start getting an idea a little bit of what he's talking about here. So anyway, and then uh, moving forward from there, getting into Comixology's page 17, this is the moment in the James Bond movie where Bond and possibly his his little helper or his girlfriend or love interest or just fucking whoever, they've got to make a narrow escape from the villain's hideout because it's going kablooey all around them. And so if they stick around any longer, they're as good as dead. And I've compared the initial offerings of Image Comics to big, dumb, stupid action movies on more than one occasion. And rather facetiously so, I would say, but still, you can't ignore the fact that a lot of action movie tropes tend to get exploited, especially in these Jim Lee comics. And that's not good, that's not bad, it simply is true. And so this is the trope of the heroes making a narrow escape from the supervillain's hideout as it's exploding and crashing down all around their ears and all that fun stuff. I mean, from a certain point of view, even Apocalypse Now had something like this. So, anyway. And then we get... Honestly, of of all of the different sp uh, splash pages that there are in this issue, and there really aren't many. I mean, there are there are really only two full splash pages in this issue, one of which is actually the first page of the story. So there's an argument that one shouldn't even count anyway, but... Of the two splash pages that we get in this issue, I think this one is actually my favorite. And honestly, the only quibble that I've got with it, this is the the demonite compound. It's it's being engulfed in flames. It's exploding. Shit's flying all over the place with fire and sparks and uh, debris and and uh, shrapnel and all and all that fun stuff. And the heroes that are watching it happen are. Not the Wildcats. This is actually uh, the, the members of Youngblood. You've got uh, Die Hard, Shaft, uh, uh, Bedrock, and, uh, well, not that Dan Quayle is a member of Youngblood, but whatever. Uh, Dan Quayle is there, uh, Troll, Vogue, Chapel. Um, and honestly, this really should be the Wildcats. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Youngblood. Yeah, they're... They're tough, and they're dangerous, and they get the job done. They fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. Young blood is there, but this isn't their book. They've got a book. It's called Young Blood. This really should have been the members of Wildcats page. And so, anyway, whatever. I mean, what's done is done, but if I've got a quibble, this is one of them. So, one of two so far. So, anyway... Moving right along, this gets into uh, Comixology's page 19. The members of Youngblood find, well, I can't say Spartan's body, but I guess like Spartan's wreckage or Spartan's ruins or, or, or whatever. And, <clears throat> and given the fact that this was intended to be, like the initial image comics, these were intended to be uh, set in a shared universe where uh, Spartan, or rather... Um, uh, Wildcats exist alongside um, Youngblood, who exist alongside uh, the Dragon, who exist alongside the Max, who exists alongside Spawn, etc. It makes sense that when, when Shaft says, they seemed a resourceful bunch, Bedrock, because that was his name at the time. They seemed a resourceful bunch, Bedrock. I wouldn't be surprised if our paths crossed again, you know. And, I don't know, this is, this is kind of a G.I. Joe sort of moment, but, I don't know, whatever. I mean, what is Youngblood except G.I. Joe and tights, right? So, I'll allow it. And, you know, from there we start getting into a, you know, a little bit more Dana Ma. There's uh, Voodoo, Void, and Marlowe. They're on the Quinjet, for lack of a better way of describing it. And they're winding down the action, explaining that, nope, don't worry about Spartan. He's coming back. Uh, in fact, we're we're loading his memories and uh, you know into his body right now. And this is actually something that I'll give Jim Lee a pass because number one, he is definitely Gen X, and number two, 
computer lingo was a little less understood in the early 90s as compared to now. So I'll cut somebody some slack here uh, whenever he says, uh, Marlowe says, in fact, all his memories are being downloaded into this new bot. And it's like, no, asshole. They're not being downloaded into Spartan's new body. They're being uploaded into Spartan's new body. But it just it annoys the fuck out of me when people use upload or download and but whatever when they misuse them is what I'm saying. Uh, but I guess that's probably not worth throwing a big hissy fit over. But it's just it's annoying. But the point is, you know, we get more badass art. You know, void. This is uh, page two. Uh, this is, uh, or sorry, not page two, uh, page 20, panel two, uh, Void, she's standing there with her bozonga standing straight up, and she's just looking all smoking hot and everything, and uh, Marlo, he's basically being the team's coach, saying, yeah, you know, everything's gonna be okay, you know, and by the way, Void, what's bothering you, you know, and, and the team is really starting to gel now together in a way that they probably weren't truly a team in the first issue now they're becoming more of a team you know so anyway definitely big doings on the horizon if sales justify it which obviously they did and then finally this is comiXology's page 21 john lynch basically having his last little moment before credits roll in this action movie that we're that we're watching here and he's like, son of a bitch, I can't believe it. Marlo was telling me the truth the whole time. <laughs> you were right, Marlo. I would have locked you up if you told me the, the truth, you know, about Dan Quayle being possessed by an alien entity. I can understand where Lynch might have found that a little hard to believe. So, anyway. All in all, this is just a really fun issue. I highly recommend it. And, I mean, let's face it, guys, it's not 1993 anymore. Wildcats number four can probably be picked up for pretty cheap. As a matter of fact, the we know that it can be, because I picked it up for pretty cheap on Comixology, buck ninety-nine if memory serves, and I had the time of my life with it. So this is, uh, like I say, just really fun comic, great art, can't get enough of it, and... Uh, so that's pretty much that for Wildcats number four. And looking at the timer here, it looks like I've got some time to work through some feedback here a little bit. So starting, oh wow, look at this. Look at this. Uh, the, the date on this email is January the 29th, 2015. So I am finally making my way into 2015. Da, 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 da. Now, yes, technically there is one more bit of feedback that is that originates from 2014, but I've got a specific place where I want to read a specific episode, I should say, where I want to read that email. So I'm actually holding that in reserve for the time being. So for all intents and purposes, yeah, we are officially in uh, the year 2015 when it comes to me catching up on my feedback. So yay, go me. So anyway, the subject line of this email says, Letters for Comics. This was sent in by uh, my old friend and I think itinerant listener or semi-regular listener. Uh, whatever. Anyway, this guy's name is uh, Socrates. Uh, he writes, Great Magnus. Letters for Comics was great. Uh, actually, before we even get into this, I just want to say, guys, uh, Letters for Comics, I'm going off memory here, but Letters for Comics, this was basically a literacy program that involved libraries and uh, basically getting comic books into the hands of kids. Uh, number one, because comics are awesome. Number two, because libraries are awesome. And number three, that's kind of the entire point of literacy programs, guys. We want to teach the kids to read. So anyway. So Socrates writes, Great Magnus. Letters for Comics was great, and I had a bunch of support, including comic book and graphic novel donations. The most popular event was for a local elementary school. Letters for Comics collected hundreds of letters uh, from grades 1 through 5. The program donated over 40 graphic novels to the school library and provided comics to six entire classes so selected at random. 
Socrates, I'm putting your email on pause and say, forgive me, man. Um, I, I want to say that this was taking place at some point in the 90s. Does that sound right? Or maybe the 2000s? It might be the 2000s, but I swear to think, based on where the email exchange that you and I had about this, I swear to think, going off memory, that you that at some point along the way, I got the idea that this was a program with which you were involved back in the 1990s. Now, Socrates, if my memory is an error, and if you still even listen to this show, I do hope you'll write in and let me know. I mean, at this point, we're talking about stuff that could have happened as long as like 25 years ago. So I don't know. I'm just, but whatever you can give me on this, uh, I don't know. But uh, some correction, if it's in order, some correction would definitely be welcome here. So anyway, Socrates goes on to write, A volunteer dressed as Spidey and was giving high fives to the first graders. The event was covered by the local news. I thought, as a lifelong comic fan, that was such a cool thing to do for those kids. I'm going to put your email on pause here, Socrates, and say, dude, I could, I, I could not possibly agree with you more. I mean, that is a cool thing to do. Now, one of the reasons why I think this was, th this all took place back in the 90s is because I don't, I don't think such a program would have been, is at all unusual these days. Or for that matter, even getting back into the, into the 2000s, you know, I don't think it would have been completely unheard of. Whereas back in the 90s, yeah, this would have been pretty rare. And so all in all, I mean, I don't think it's bad to do something like this and dress up in costumes and, and help children learn to read no matter what. But especially back in the 90s when this was, let's face it, a little bit more of an outside the mainstream type of thing. Extra cool. So, anyway. Socrates goes on to say, Unfortunately, the program is no longer available. When my first son was born, I decided to switch careers and also focus on his early education. Now my wife and I will be focusing on his newborn brother's early education as well. I'll start it up again when the kids are older, because it was really great to give back and promote superhero comics. Great podcast as always. Best regards, Socrates S. Alvarez III. And Socrates, first of all, thank you for taking the time to write in, number one. Number two, thank you for, for taking action and making, just making a fucking difference in the life, the, the uh, lives of kids. I mean, dude, good on you. And number three, it is cool to do stuff like this. I mean, uh, Socrates, as you may or may not know, I don't exactly run the most confessional or public or open uh, types of podcasts, but it's anybody who's listening, who's Facebook friends with me, odds are you know that I've got a stepdaughter, right? And if you've been Facebook friends with me for a really long time now, odds are you probably also know that there was a time when I was volunteering at, at her school on a on an irregular basis, I would say. I mean, because let's face it, you know, we're we're all grown ups. Our time is a little bit more. Uh, it's a little bit more at a, a premium, one might say. And so, you know, you you don't necessarily have the availability to volunteer as often as you might like. But you know, whatever. I mean, it's still something. And specifically, this was a program. Oh fuck it! I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you what it is. It's a program that's called Watchdogs, right? Watchdogs and DOGS, Dads of Great Students. The idea is to give dads sort of an entree into, you know, volunteering and helping out a little bit. And I got to tell you, I mean, the kids, I, I remember me and just what a jackass I was when I was a kid. I don't think I would have been all that impressed if some old guy had come to my school and hung out with us and just kind of shot the shit. Uh, I really don't think I would have been at all impressed with that back when I was a kid. But these kids are a lot different from what I was like because they all loved uh, seeing me uh, come to the school and, you know, hanging out in the classroom with them, uh, maybe reading stories to them, 
or telling them some stories of my own or helping them with their schoolwork or just fucking whatever. I mean, they just, they ate it up with a spoon, you know? And I'm operating on the assumption that, you know, divorce being as prevalent as it is these days, or at least broken homes being as prevalent as they are these days, a lot of these kids, especially the boys, they don't necessarily have very much access to a masculine influence, you know? That's a bit of a rarity in their lives. And so for some of them, I mean, I'm not prepared to say that Watchdogs is the only outlet that they had, but it's like at the same time, this doesn't come along just every day either. And so anyway, it was, um, you know, those of you who are involved in education and you spend more time around uh, children than I do, you know, maybe some of the stuff that I'm talking about here is it's no big shucks to you. But I got to tell you, you know, just the warmth that they showed, you know, just how friendly that they were and how excited they were to see me. It's like, oh, goodness, you know, we've, you know, one of the watchdogs is here or some of them, they even remembered me. They're like, oh, shit, it's Magnus. He's back, you know. And so just just the affection that they had, you know, just so happy to see you. And, you know, they want you to help help them with their work first, you know, and I don't know. It's just you walk out because, you know, I mean, I'm there virtually all day and you walk out and it's like, dude, you just had the crap beaten out of you during recess. You've been walking all over the school because you've got different appointments in different classrooms, you know, different places that you need to be. You've been just sitting there talking like virtually all day long. And notwithstanding the fact that I do a podcast, I don't exactly consider myself to be Mr. Outgoing and Sociable. So, you know, that's draining all by itself. And so, yeah, I mean, dude, you are, and this is my point, you are fucking wiped by the time you stagger out to your car and it's time to drive home and all that fun stuff. I mean, dude, you are bushed. And yet, and yet, you know that for the six, like the five or the six or however long, however many hours that you were up there that day, you know, playing uh, re like recess time with the kids or or uh, going to lunch with, with your kid or my stepdaughter in my case, or helping the, you know, the little kids with their, their schoolwork and all that fun stuff, or you're reading them stories from a storybook or just fucking whatever it is that you're doing, you made a difference. You know, small though it may be, you made a difference that day, you know? You changed the entire trajectory of where their day was going. It might have been one thing, and because of you, now it maybe it's something else. You made a difference. And, you know, Socrates, I mean, I'm not trying to tell you a bunch of stuff that you already know, because, like I say, I'm pretty sure you already know, but it's like, how often in life do any of us ever get a chance to, even if it's just for one day, look back at something and say, you know what? I'm not perfect, okay? I've got my flaws. I Sometimes I, I, I lose my temper over stupid shit. Uh, maybe sometimes I use too many cuss words. Maybe sometimes I don't set as good an example for my stepdaughter as I could. Uh, so on and so on and so on. But you know what? For that moment, I did something positive. I did something that was beneficial, that was constructive, that was helpful towards others, you know, that maybe brightened their day at a time when they really needed it, you know? And it really, I mean, ultimately it's about the kids. It's not about you. It's about the kids. But it's like at the same time, they're not the only ones who benefit from this. N that knowledge that I helped them the opportunity to help them at all, that meant something to me too. You know, they're not the only ones who, who got something out of this. You know what I mean? And so whenever you say that it was, it was great to give something back, Socrates, I mean, look, dude, I'm not trying to talk your ear off here, but it's like that, you know, that part really did hit home for me because it's like, bro, I know exactly what you're talking about here. You know, and it is great. It feels you, you come out of there for as beat up as you might feel. You still 
is in a weird kind of way, it's like you still feel like a million bucks because, hey, I did something that was good, you know? And uh, I don't know, just it, it, it means a lot is the point. So anyway, I think I've got time for a little bit more feedback here. Uh, this is uh, this email is entitled Podcast Promos, and uh, basically it kind of sort of touches on something else. And so, uh, but this was uh, sent in by uh, Kirk uh, Grainveld, I believe is how this name is pronounced. Uh, so, and Kirk, if I'm wrong, please do correct me, but Kirk uh, Grainveld, I guess is how it's pronounced, uh, dated March the 23rd, 2015. And uh, Kirk writes, Trentus, I just listened to both Prey, Legends of the Dark Knight, number 11 to 15, as well as Amazing Spider-Man, number 31 to 33, the Master Planner trilogy, and enjoyed them both. Though I didn't agree with some of the things you said, because this is how women love to be... I, I'm not sure exactly what context I said that in, because, like, quote, because th this is how women love to be treated. That sounds like something I would have said, perhaps in jest, said facetiously. But uh, anyway, so there you go, Kirk. I don't know if that helps, but, you know, anyway. So Kirk goes on to say, I found myself laughing aloud each time you dropped the line in the review and had to admit uh, to myself that it was the 1960s and Stan and Steve were shoveling exactly that to the readers. And so I assume, Kirk, that what you're talking about is something akin to uh, sexism and more sort of stereotypical uh, uh, gender roles that were Probably very prevalent, I would imagine, in early to mid '60s, uh, early to mid 1960s American comics. And so, anyway, I mean, I my memory of having recorded that episode, and obviously this was years ago now, but my memory, faint though it may be, of recording that episode, um, the Spider-Man episode, is I basically decided, fuck it, I'm I'm doing this for the lulls, I guess. I'm embracing this wholeheartedly. Like, what would a podcast by some smartass in the 1960s possibly have sounded like? Maybe kind of sort of like that. I think that was the 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 kind of sarcastic attitude with which I went into that episode. Kirk, I could be wrong, but that's my memory of it. So, anyway... Uh, Kirk goes on to say, I agree. Prey is one of the better Batman arcs and enjoyed it so much. I went out and bought the trade collection. Wow. Wow. So, uh, yeah, went out and bought the trade collection as well. Kirk, I'm putting your, e your email back on pause here and say, like, did I inspire you to do that? Did you listen to the episode and think, wow, that actually sounds kind of cool. I think I want to check that out. I'm actually kind of curious about that now, Kirk. Mm, right in. Let me know, because I, I would be very interested. In fact, you know what? Fuck it. For Like anybody, like anyone who's listening to this, if you've ever listened to an episode of my show and thought, wow, that sounds actually kind of cool. I want to go watch that TV show or that movie, or I want to go read that comic. Dude, let me know, because I, I, I guess the assumption that I've always made is that anyone who's going to listen to me run my mouth about whatever subject I'm ra running my mouth about Odds are you're probably familiar with the subject matter already, but if I've ever inspired you to go out and make a purchase based on something I've podcasted about, guys, I want to hear it. Send me an email. Let me know. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Send me an email, man, and let me know. So anyway. Anyway, so Kirk goes on to say, do you have any plans to review Terror, which is the sequel, by the way, guys, to Pray? That's what it's called, Terror. Do you have any plans to review Terror at a later date? I'd like to hear your comments. P.S. I'm trying a new email. Yeah, there was a whole new uh, problem going on with my email. Kirk, I'm sorry for that. But uh, anyway, so Kirk Greenfield or Kirk Grainveld. I'm not really sure which of those I, I, I should use, Kirk, but which whichever of those names it might be, Kirk Greenfield or Kirk Grainaveld. Thank you for taking the time to write in. Now, Kirk, wanted, when he sent this email, he wanted me to make a point of mentioning that he's the co-host of Imperious Rex, Confessions of a Serial Surface Invader. So, no offense to Kirk. Kirk, I'm not especially 
familiar with that podcast, but whatever. If that sounds interesting to anybody who's listening, go check it out. So, unfortunately, I don't have an, a web address for that, so I can't give you the URL. But, hey, if you Google it, I'm thinking you're going to find something. So, anyway, so I think that's pretty much it, really, for, for feedback. And so... As it happens, I think that's basically everything, actually, because I'm going down my list here, and I don't really see... There's no administrivia I need to go through. Obviously, I've talked about the comic. That's the end of the line for feedback, so I guess that's... I guess that's that. So, huh. Cool. Now, as to next week, I'm not completely sure which comic book exactly I'm going to be talking about. It's going to be an image comic. Make book on that. It's going to be... A 1992 image comic book. What I promise you, it's not going to be Wildcats number five. You can make book on that as well. It's going to be another title, one of two, in fact. I'm not really sure which one it's going to be. It's going to be a number one, but I'm not really sure which one I want to talk about next week. It could be one, it could be the other. It just sort of depends. But it's going to be an image comic book, an image number one, to be precise, from 1992. But that's next week, so... I think that's pretty much it for me for this week, so bye everybody, I will see you next week. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon. Because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. 
The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void were prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. Magnus here. Here at Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I sometimes release episodes all about Smallville. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville. In my opinion, Smallville is the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in all of history. Magnus Talks About Smallville is dedicated to the themes, story arcs, and character motivations of Smallville. I do a ton of in-depth analysis on each episode of the show, and people seem to love listening to me talk about Smallville. And I want you along for the ride. Check out Magnus Talks About Smallville, and listen for yourself about why Smallville is awesome. Magnus Talks About Smallville, only at 2TrueFreaks.com. <laughs> 